0: Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly.
1: And Welcome to Ranks FC. This is your favourite football podcast. And we are back with another interview. It's March is interview month on Ranks FC. And we're very, very excited about this one. We gave you commentary last week. This week, we're giving you agency. We've got Sonny Coleman who is head of football at the Distinct Agency, coming in to talk us through the murky, but sometimes brilliant world of being a football agent. My name is Jack Collins, and joining me as ever is Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, guys. Hello, mate. How you doing? You're hey, yeah, not bad. Sunny day. Yeah. In in more ways than one, eh? Yeah.
2: Hey. i got a bird feeder. Oh, no. Oh,
1: we're back on the birds, are we?
2: Yep got a bird feeder in the garden and um, it's actually the second week of the bird feeder I've got all these different things one with mealworms one with nuts one with fat balls just to see what we could attract and i got to say for the first week all we were getting was pigeons um, but this morning lo and behold we've had starlings, robins, blue tits, magpies it's like bird world out in my garden lads. <laughs> you must be.
0: do things of regret. You must have, you, have you got like a, the, big, the big
2: book of birds and you sat at your window going, oh, look at that one. <gasps> yes, oh. yes, literally that. Or oh, Dylan's got a book called My First Book of Birds or something. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was really excited about it. And then I saw how many birds were in the garden this morning and was like, hang on, I don't actually like birds this much. There you go. Dean Dean Oddy. Anyway, yeah. So the podcast will be starting
1: uh, soon. Ranking birds. (laughs) We always needed a a side hustle, Dean. You always needed one. Apart from (laughs) birds, what have you loved this week? Let's get back to basics.
2: Oh, there's a tangled web that I'm loving at the moment. And this one's not anything to do with animals or insects or anything like that. But this is a tangled web of managers that's opened up. So Yogi Love, the Germany manager, he's been there since 1936. (laughs) Um, At least it feels like it. Yogi Love took the Germany job in 2006 and he's still there. But they have announced that after Euro 2020, he will be stepping down as Germany manager. Now, I've been waiting for this and anybody that uh, subscribes to to Patreon and is a a poet would have seen on the newsletter last week that I talked a little bit about. Look out for Klopp and look out for the Germany job because there aren't many jobs right now that would interest Jurgen Klopp at all. And look, he's still pretty defiant about the fact that he has no intention of leaving Liverpool. But Liverpool are in complete disarray right now, right? They they cannot win at home um, and they're not going to qualify for the Champions League. There's a possibility that Mo Salah looks... Well, he is looking for a move in the summer... Um, It could all fall apart for him. And if he doesn't get big funding, I think that there is a small chance that Klopp is tempted to take this job. And I know for a fact that the German national team would love that to be the case, that Jurgen Klopp is the man that now steps into this role. And of course that then opens up the possibility of Steven Gerrard becoming Liverpool manager. Um, Look, Jack loves narratives more than anybody else. But when it comes to this kind of stuff, this is what I live for, lads. This is... This is sensational tabloid stuff. I grew up on this. Um, so Klopp to Germany, um, Gerard in at Liverpool,
1: and then Jack, do you fancy the Rangers job? Yeah, I think I think it'll be anyone's guess. You get they'll just follow him with Lampard, will not they? They'll get Lampard in next, and, that, and maybe be actually that. they could actually,
2: couldn't they? There you go. Um, that wouldn't be that. That wouldn't be that weird. So.
1: It's like, um now have have Rangers then started to quietly sound out ideas. I mean they're gonna be adamant obviously that Gerard isn't gonna go yeah. anywhere, but surely quietly they're a little bit worried and they're having a look. They're
2: not really having a look, but they are starting to get worried. I mean publicly they're they're saying like Gerard's going nowhere, he's still here for next season. Like they've just blitzed the league and they really hope that'll be the case. And as it stands right now, then, then yeah, but if Gerard gets a, a little phone call and says you fancy the top a Liverpool manager I don't see there's much chance that he's gonna turn that opportunity down, to be honest with you. It's, not, um, it's no different for Frank Lampard, pretty happy at Derby. Oh, Chelsea. Bye. It's impossible to it's turn the same down, thing. isn't it's it? The same thing.
1: I think it's yeah. impossible. Um To be fair, though, Steven Gerrard has actually gone to Scotland and won something. So, I mean, there is a little bit more compatibility with him actually getting the job he deserved. And look, Derby,
0: Derby, while adamant that they wanted uh, Lampard to stick around, obviously did their shopping in the background and ended up with Philip Koku pretty swiftly. So you do do your due diligence. Even Mm -hmm. if you say one thing, you do another. But they've now got Wayne Rooney. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I mean yeah obviously yeah I'm not sure what their it. plan is
0: it
1: <laughs> I don't know I quite like it though I quite one, like one. One. one
0: question for me boys now I'm, I'm very ready for this to become a stone cold take in three years time is there not a part of you that thinks that the type of manager Jurgen Klopp is is not necessarily suited to the international
1: game no not really I, I think actually maybe it should be really suited to the international game the fact that it would be high intensity a lot of you know uh, geeing up speeches and and being able to kind of get into the mindset especially for a a german side that i think a lot of people would say have have underperformed in recent years right who haven't lived up to the expectation and perhaps the personnel that they have in this side they have been you know a little bit flat over the last especially you know obviously at the last world cup but but even coming off the back of that i think it would be something that, that Klopp could really heavily succeed in, to be honest. I mean, it
2: is inter- look right now, as we're talking, Klopp's giving a press conference. And as, he's, as they're talking, he has just been asked a question about this. And he says, I will not be available as a potential coach for Germany. I've got three years left, haven't I, at Liverpool? Um, it's simple for me. You sign a contract and you stick to that contract. But look, here's, here's a few things that I've been told have been bugging Jürgen Klopp. He wanted to sign Timo Werner. He was available at a reasonable fee. Didn't happen. He went to Chelsea. There was the whole furlough thing at Liverpool that just annoyed him from like a moral stance. Like that was quickly turned around. He then wanted to go and sign a centre back, and they ended up signing Erzinger back and
1: Ben Davis. I mean. To Be Ben Davis after... hasn't been given a game. Well, no. And also, don't, don't, don't
0: forget, you've already skipped ahead of Tiago Alcantara as well. And that oh, I that don't, absolute um, shambles. of a Tiago,
2: pursuit. who he was desperate for and they weren't going to give him and then eventually they, they caved in and, and he got him through the door. But there are these things that, like, if Jurgen Klopp's built all this, let him carry on. I do think that, you know, the other thing here in this tangled <laughs> web is that now that that German job has become available. There will be a little bit of fear now among people of FSG and they'll be like, oh, there is actually a small chance that even though he's saying this, that probably would tempt him a little bit. Maybe, oh, anyone got any money we can give him? Mm-hmm. Um, Because he needs some, doesn't he, lads? Like if they're going to bounce back from this season, it's got to be a big bounce back next season. He's saying that, he still believes that once he gets Van Dyke back, once he gets his actual team back, he thinks that they'll still be back at the level where they were. I mean, I guess he'll want to find out if that's true or not. If it's not, though, a bit awkward.
1: Yeah, they need to freshen it up. Right, Sam, moving on to you. What's the thing you've loved this week?
0: Yeah, so I love the fact that the nature of the post-match interview, specifically here in England, is actually starting to change, and change for the better. So for a long, long time, we've had to listen to very boring post-match interviews, same old cliches, same phrases recycled when a player speaks to a broadcaster after the game. It's short, it's sharp, it's bare minimum. It's get me the hell out of here as quickly as possible. But I'd say this season, we've definitely seen a bit of a departure from that. And the Monday night football slot on Sky Sports has got a lot to say, and uh, has played a big part in this, but it's, it's appeared in other, in other mediums too. We've seen the development of some personalities. We've seen a willingness for players to, to chat, uh, to elaborate, to have a laugh as well, not take themselves so, so goddamn seriously all the time, and to give us that genuine bit of insight that we're all listening along for. So I think it started with Connor Cody. Yeah. Jamie Carragher, fellow Scouser, managed to draw out Cody's wonderful personality. Then we moved on to James Madison, talking about improving his underlying numbers with data analyst Jack Lyons, and then talks about how Jack will be buzzing that he's dropped his name. You know, just a bit of jovial stuff, lighthearted, like don't take yourself so seriously. But adding that genuine insight into what Madison is trying to do and how he's trying to improve his name, his game and his numbers. And now this week we see Declan Rice taking like five or six minutes, which in this context is a long, long time to talk about the fact that West Ham weren't particularly good against Leeds despite winning 2-0 to explain the midfield partnership and dynamic he has with Thomas Suchek and explain what impact Suchek has had on the team, to talk about adding elements to his own game, the perception of him as a player, why he thinks that's wrong, who he aspires to be like, how he wants to add a Vieira slash Yaya Torre-style carrying ability to his game. This is all music to my ears. And he had a big laugh with Jamie Carragher and Dave Jones about you know, Lingard's penalty miss and how he'd be back on the next one. And it, it was light-hearted enough you know, to be fun, but not carefree enough to attract, you know, concern or attention or criticism. So you've got Cody, Madison, Rice. Naturally, it comes from English speakers first. Understand that. But I hope we're seeing a trend here. I hope we're seeing players recognising that adding elements of their personality, building out their personality and just giving us stuff to talk about and to talk to them about is so much more preferable than, yeah, we worked hard and we got the three points.
2: Yeah, I think it's something that is coming through more. I saw Raheem Sterling give a- give an interview recently on Sky as well that was, was along those lines and he was you know stayed around for longer than you would normally expect and he was he was very chatty and look, the, the reason I think is a big part of this is that media training has changed a lot when I was you know growing up in, in journalism players were being taught that we were the enemy and that we were always trying to trick them up and that we were just looking for this headline and I'm sure that was the case you know in some yeah, times you were but, Dino you're evil yeah no there were a few times I, I definitely was but most of the time I wasn't and these days I'm definitely not because that sensationalism doesn't really work anymore because I, I think a, a majority of of people were so cynical anyway that they're not going to go for that clickbait stuff anymore um, and so the flip of that is that in media training I think you're being taught to use these opportunities as exactly that and it's a Chance to grow your own profile and to get people interested in who you are as a person and to get behind you, to follow you on social media, to follow your career, to buy your clothes or whatever it is. Like these people are personalities now. And I think that that's what, particularly James Madison, is showing that can work. You know, he's people have been raving about the way that he talks to the media and it is great. And I've had, you know, people like Sterling are genuinely the best interviews that I've done. Because he's just a nice lad who talks quite openly, and then later on, there might be you might get a call from his agent saying, "Oh, take that bit out about money or whatever it is." Like I did have that one interview with Sterling. It's like just take out that bit, just because that could get interpreted wrong. Like I just don't want him to, don't want that to happen to him. So they still have to tread a little carefully. But let's see more of this personality, because
1: you're right. It's great to see. But there's also something in that that you say, like, if it's been a brilliant interview and it's been open and you've got loads of stuff from it that you're really happy with, you're probably more likely to be like, yeah, 100% I'll work with you in terms of it taking yeah. out because I'm not worried about it because I've got all this other brilliant stuff. That Whereas if you're, you know, trying to squeeze every last drop out of an interview that feels like it's been closed down, mm. then then maybe you're less likely to do. I, I I don't know. Maybe not. I think the Connor Cody one's interesting. Sam, obviously, we, we had that experience with Connor at, at Wolves when we when we did the FA Cup games and we were we were there and the thing we were waiting for an interview with anyone and everyone sort of passed us by and we were talking to the media manager and he went Oh, hang on. I'll get so. And Connor Cody came straight back out afterwards and everyone else had gone home. We were the last media people in the entire place. And he came out and gave us a really brilliant chat. And all it was, was for her Instagram. I think at the time it was oh. only 15 second snippets, but he stuck around, he chatted with us. And, and it was one of those moments where you went, this is a really genuine guy who obviously loves the game and, and, and loves what's just happened and is willing to, to open up. And it's nice to see that now progressing to bigger mediums to, mm. you know, post-match interviews to those sky interviews and and, and it's nice because we're able to, to determine a little bit more from it. That's things we love this week. Uh, I was going to talk about Betis and Boa but actually, I think we could just move things on. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where we have a very special guest for you. And I'm delighted to introduce Mr. Sonny Coleman, head of football at Distinct Agency, FA registered football agent here to shine a light for us on the world of agency in the beautiful game. Sonny, thank you so much for joining us on Ranks.
3: Not a problem. It's a pleasure to be here, lads, and uh, I look forward to our chat today.
1: Absolutely. Now, I have to mention your old man, mostly because, you know, he was my hero growing up as a Fulham fan, Chris Coleman. But not only an icon down at the cottage, but also went on to be the boss of Wales, Sunderland, Real Sociedad, head by China Fortune. Your childhood and, by extension, your football education, right, has not only been global, but also must have been a wild ride at times. Yeah, I
3: think it's... It, it, it's just a different child, I suppose. because he had me when he was 21, 22, I was, I was still able to see him when he was playing his playing days. Obviously, it was cut short, um, with his car crash, but I was really just plunged into it from a young age. And he was a fellow for quite a long time. So you got to know a lot of staff there. And any, any, any summer holiday, any weekend, I was at the training ground, just being, being an absolute nuisance, really, just, just chasing around players, like kicking balls <laughs> for fun. So it was, it was fantastic for me. Loved football it was my passion. and be able to have uh, uh, been so immersed in it from such a young age, and as you said, from all different, all different areas, it was, it was fantastic.
1: Unfortunately, you had to be down at the cottage. You've, you've suffered the same problems that Dean and I have suffered for all these years. Um, do you know what? It's going
3: to you know look fantastic when it finishes, isn't it? Have you seen the, the, uh, the plans?
1: So beautiful. So beautiful. It's, uh, it's, it's a delight at the moment. It's a delight back then as well. They were happy years down yeah. at the cottage. Dean, you could tell us about how the two worlds of Coleman and Jones collided.
2: Oh yeah, so Sonny is obviously talking there about his dad and his Fulham roots, and not only was I, you know, I've got a lot of Fulham roots. I mean, I played in the academy when I was a kid, and then obviously supported him as well. But when I got into journalism, um, you know, my first real job was being Fulham correspondent, and I would uh, I worked for an agency, and and Cookie was the manager. Cookie, by the name, is what everybody calls his dad, Chris Coleman. Um, and yeah, so he was. How old was your dad when he got the manager's job? Yeah, 32 is ridiculously young. I didn't really appreciate the time because I was probably about 20 or something like that. Um, And honestly, it was amazing. Like it was, it genuinely was probably the best time I've ever had in this job. Um, No manager I've ever come across is as sound as him. Um, He treated me a lot. When you're 20 and you're a journalist, you go into press conferences and a lot of managers will speak down to you. They won't take your questions seriously. And it wasn't the case at all. Um, he, he gave me so much time. And trust me, there are a lot of stories as well. Like, he's, he's a top bloke. Um, you see him out in Kingston um, in a pub and it would be the first. Like he'd grab, call you straight over. He'd buy you a beer and your mates a beer. Um, and so, yeah, I got to know him really well. And I remember, obviously, that he'd lost his job um, at Fulham. And he'd, he'd done such a good job at the time as well. He's the only Fulham manager to, to beat Chelsea at Craven Cottage, 1-1-0. Um I remember he gave me an exclusive that day. We did a big piece on how you beat Chelsea because Chelsea were unbeatable at the time. And I remember it's, ringing him when he lost his the, the, the Makaleli role, wasn't it? Put it was on the, 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 the Man bronc. That's right. Exactly that. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly that. And he, he nailed it that day. Um, but yeah, when he left, I remember I was gutted and called him. It was the first time I'd ever really called a manager when they've lost their job. It's not really something you do, is it? But I wanted to say thanks, really, to him because he made my job so easy uh, when well, it could have been really hard, and it was hard sometimes when I was going out to places. Um, I stayed in touch with him for a little bit after that. Um, obviously, not not so much in the last few years when he's been doing his world tour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I've been aware of Sonny as well for a while because um, a friend of mine, um, Jamie Morley, um, Sonny worked for him a few years back, uh, so I knew about him by association then as well and kind of, um, you know, how the football works, the whole industry kind of it becomes one at times and you always know somebody through somebody else. So, yeah, that's how it really came about. But this is the first time really I'm having a proper chat with Sonny about about this kind of stuff. And um, it's inter- going to be interesting. We've taken a load of questions from our patrons for this show. Um, look, people are fascinated by football agents, aren't they? Um but Sonny, I mean, you've got a, a stronger background than, than most of us when it comes to to football pedigree. I mean, your daddy is clearly a legend. Um, what has part has that played in your life up to this point, though, in terms of your love for football?
3: I think it's. I think it could, I think it could go either way, really. I know a lot of people in the same not the same position, but sons of footballers who, who literally go either way. You absolutely love it, or you absolutely hate it. Mm. Um, I think it's the same as anything. He, he never pushed me into anything. He never said you've got to do this. But saw this, this, this almost a caricature of a, of a like an old school centre back defender. And my old man, all these people are loving him and etc. This sort of larger than life character. It was impossible for me not to get dragged into that. And I loved, I, he was literally my hero from from, the, from, the, from the, as long as I can remember. So it was, it was never any doubt I was going to follow him into the game. Obviously, I ended up with two left feet, so I couldn't play the game. Um, but um, I just w- when it went into it anyway. So it was, as you said, it was it went for me that way. But I do know a lot who who just completely don't like hate for even hate football. Some of them because of what what it comes with it and what what their experiences with the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean.
2: We're not really going to talk about your dad. This will be the last question because one of our patrons has asked, what was the remarkable run that Wales had at Euro 2016 like for you? I mean, I think we all ended, I mean, I hate to say it, even I was supporting Wales in that tournament, um, clearly because of your dad more than anything. But um, what was it like for you? That was absolutely madness. It was because obviously
3: with the job I do as well, I could go out and stay out there for a month. Um, and obviously you didn't you book, book until the semis because you never knew where you were going to get knocked out. So... I was. I went back and forth five times to France, <laughs> um, but I went out with a few mates, and it was. It's like we were, it's, it's. You have to pinch yourself. Really, it's one of those times you know that, that you're going to look back at this moment for the rest of your life, and you just got to just sit back and enjoy it. And you meet so many amazing people out there, people who are just from all around all around Wales, all around the world, who come together and can't really. It's like, a, it's like a massive haze, but you can't really put it into words how fantastic it was, and the games and the results kept coming, and even the England game when we lost in the last minute that sense of the, it was never say that attitude which that will live with me for the rest of my life it was unbelievable his memories are really care.
0: put into perspective as well because we haven't been able to go anywhere oh. for like the last year yeah, absolutely seeing, uh, those stadiums like euros under threat of being behind closed doors at points becomes even more special somehow a, a best in a way that you probably never even imagined
3: absolutely i think you, you, you put it right there i think it really does make you t- t- step back and take stock of, of what we had and the little things that we've lost and when you hear the news, like, as you said, where is it even going to be? Is it confirmed here? Is it confirmed there behind closed doors? It's just so many unknowns that but hopefully now we're coming towards the end of it and, and we can
0: crack on. Yeah. So lots of people, lots of our patrons have asked questions about how to get their foot in the door in terms of football industry and agency. So it's time to crack on onto your, your actual job, Sonny. So let's get through this little section first. Miles Taylor says, I'm studying sports law at uni and I hope to become a football agent. What age did Sunny get his breakthrough and can I have some work experience?
1: <laughs> How many work experience requests are we gonna get over this? We don't expect we don't expect them to be answered on air. We'll give you that for free. Of course. <laughs> but like,
3: I think I, I think I say to to a lot of people, a lot of people my breakthrough was I was eighteen years old. I could have gone to, to university to do history, I would have converted to law, so that's a good it's a good standing to be in. I'll never hide away from the fact that nepotism is obviously plays a part in this for, for me it's, it's a fact. It's not not something I shy away from. Um but if if he's doing law, that's a fantastic, fantastic uh, foundation to have. Is exactly what I was gonna do. I was just lucky enough to get work experience at a big agency, and I went on to another bigger agency. But I didn't. I wasn't an agent for five, six years until I was 20, 23, 24, 25. And even then, I was looking after kids. My my advice to Miles would be just to get your degree. I don't know how it breaks down, or if you can branch off into certain contractual law, whatever it would be. Um, but also in the meantime. Getting your coaching badges that would be a, a tip for me, even up to maybe not not to the to the A or the B, but the, the foundation ones, just to get a good understanding of the game. Get to any games you can possibly get to, under 16 up to the under 23s. There's so many games going on. You just look in your area, even if it's a conference team or it's a team in the league two. Just get to as many games, get your face shown, get your face known around there. Follow these players on Instagram. You have got to clean up your own social media. Make sure you're not out like with like Jaeger bombs and, and doing silly things like that because. Obviously everyone has has a good time, but there's a time and a place, you need to really clean it up. And that's something I had to learn from it from a young age as well. Take off certain things that that, that aren't gonna be desirable. Because at the end of the day, you've got you're gonna have to really you're gonna to have to start with the younger kids. And these younger kids you have to meet their parents and their parents are gonna to have to look at you as a beacon, as as someone they can trust. Um so they'd be my top tips really for him, but get yeah, keep doing with that with the degree, that's fantastic, foundation in itself. Um and get to games, get your face out.
1: Yeah, I mean, taking that on, Sonny, Luca Johnson's basically asked about internships. You mentioned their work experience, you, were, you mm. know, and how how that break came about. Was it was this kind of always something you were interested in, and an agency was always kind of part of the plan, or did it kind of come about because of the way that you came into the game? Um,
3: I'd always, I, I went to the most school until I was eighteen. I'd always wanted. I'd always liked the idea of of being an agent, and I knew a few agents like throughout the years. And towards the end, my dad was. Louis Baumorte at Fulham was yeah. really I was really close to, to Boa. Boa was my favourite player. Like, I loved Louis Baumorte. And his agent was a guy called Amadeo Pachao, who's now the Sheffield Wednesday advisor. And he worked for a guy called Jerome Anderson at SEM. And they were part of the whole Holvenke Steve Keen debacle there. And he said, Look, there are a lot of players and arsenal about like Sanchez what and at the time. They've done, they've done historically done a lot of deals with Darren Dean and David Dean when he was at Arsenal. Um they said, look if you're serious about it, I'll speak to Amadeo, we'll have a sit down, I sat down with Jerome Anderson, he said, look, I'm not going to give you any money, I said, that's fine, he said, we're working cockfosters, and I lived in like South, I lived in near Epson at the time, yeah. come in as many days as a week you want, get yeah, as much experience as you want, um, go to games, we'll show you our players, you can be a player liaison, get what they need, speak to them, ask them if they need boots. if they need this, that or the other, and I just took it, and obviously that's not going to be an opportunity that's available to, that's available to everyone, so I appreciate that, um, but I just I just dove into it head first and, and the rest is his yeah, history.
2: Yeah, I mean, do you want to just explain what your actual job now is, Sonny, and like the sort of people that you do look after and what it entails?
3: Yeah, I think like data. Like, we as a as an agency, right, we do we don't just do football. So there's like rugby, there's sports, there's media, there's a whole 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 vast. But I I'm just solely football. Um, so like a, a week, so a, a normal week for me a year ago um, would have been. <laughs> Yeah, on obviously weekends are for football for matches, going to games. Um, obviously don't try and kill yourself. Like if you can get, if you, the best thing to do is if you can get two teams with a client on each team, you can kill to kill two birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. Um but sometimes one or two games games a weekend. Obviously, as I said, don't kill yourself trying to go there here, there here, there, and everywhere. People have got to understand that you're not you've got and you've got to make that clear from the start. Like a lot of agents will come in and you know, get to every game. It's just not realistic and you and you let let you set yourself up for failure. So mm-hmm. get to the games. And on Monday First thing I do is sit down, have a little summary of what my clients have been, they've done, if they're managers, if they're players, whatever, wherever they've been, under 16, to so first team. I'll write that down. Literally as simple as going on soccer weight and looking at the results, try and find match reports, um, find out how they've done, give them a call, say, look, obviously, it wasn't a game, how did you do, blah, 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 and I'll go through every single client and do that on the Monday. Um, and then after that, uh, I'll look at the week ahead, and that will normally be with about two or three of us, just to discuss, look, there's a game here, or go go to a game here, and I'll. Um, then usually in the evening on the Monday, then we'll have a discussion about current uh, targets and how the targets are coming up, how, how they're that we've spoken to them, we've done to meet them, we've got a meeting set up. If not, how are you going to do that? Or sometimes you'd say, look, he said no, he's not, he's happy with his agent. So you tip, tip him off and we've got a CRM that everything's, everything's based on. So that's a Monday. And Tuesday to Friday is usually, Either going to meet current clients or going to meet prospective new clients, and you do get the odd to 23s or 18 game that pops up in a week in the evening that you go to. Um, so that's really the formula for each week. Obviously, it's not going to be the same every week, and sometimes you might reverse it around. But the Monday's is the most important one for us to make sure we've got that um, in the diary, and everyone gets called. Everyone gets a bit of feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, on, on Wednesdays, we'll try because obviously normally a day off for the lads if they've got one on Saturday game. Or try and, if there's a problem. Try and speak to the academy managers, or the manager, or the powers that be at the club if there's any problem with the players. Yeah, interesting.
0: Sunny, um, you talked about maybe starting off your your maybe agency journey, looking after younger players. There are one of the one of the tips as uh, how you get started. What is that process like? Do you go to youth games and 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 speak to them themselves? Do you have to talk to their parents? Like, wh- what's the dance here? What actually happens?
3: I if I were going to say for someone who was brand new, like for someone who, when I first started at 18, I had no idea what I thought. I know what I thought Football Agency was and I'd heard all the stories and the stigma of a football agent and all these horrible people, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I went into it quite like Quite wide-eyed and thinking, what what's the crack here? And you, and you meet people. Um, and also quite starstruck. Like, I've seen these footballers. like I love football. Like, football was my life. So I was quite starstruck being in the same room with a lot of these footballers, even though I had a taste of it already. It's quite a daunting thing like coming out of school with no history in it. Um, so even talking to these undirected like, Arsenal, like, when I was talking to like Sanchez Watt and Chapter Niki at the time, obviously, I think Chapter just... I don't know if you saw that video, that goal he scored when he went the 21, when he a ridiculous <laughs> goal and everyone was talking about it. And the next day I was talking to him, but it can be quite daunting, and you feel a bit, bit apologetic at times talking to them, and that's natural, I think. But it's normally if they if they're ages eighteen up, it'll be with them under the age of eighteen, you have to speak with their parents anyway. But we say to to any of the parents that we sign, look, if you're at sixteen, we're not going to stop talking to you at eighteen. If you want to be a part of your, your boy's journey, and if your boy or girl wants to be a part of the journey, then that's fine. We've got players who are thirty three who will consult their parents at every move. We've got players who are 18 or 17. Parents don't, don't not they don't want to know, but they're happy with, the, with us to do it for them. So that's not we don't we don't discriminate in that sense. But um, in terms of day to day with with those sort of lads, you you literally just going to the games, talking to them after the game. How do you think you did? Blah blah. They'll say, "Oh, I need some new boots." So you put a boot order in. Say, "Oh, can you book me? I mean, my missus want to come down to London for the weekend. Can you have a look? Can you book me this hotel, or can you have a look back in the office for any deals mm-hmm. on or?" I want to book a holiday in the summer can you can you, can you give me some quotes oh, it's just little it's just work like that it's a lot, it, at a time i can see quite a lot of work for, for for not much obviously you're not getting paid or you're not getting any commission for these lads but it's all it's all about relationships about establishing those relationships as it goes goes on but
0: what about the discovery element? so like say that you're looking to take on a client or you like do you go to like an under under 17s game and just watch a player and just think wow he's excellent or she is excellent um, and go 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 and target the master of the game and say, "Hey, do you have do you have representation? Would you like to come and is it is it that simple? Is that what happens?
3: If if you had no contacts in the game whatsoever and you were just starting, that's the only that's the only thing you can do. Mm. That is you can that's all you can do. Now for for me, for example, or for any any other agent, we've got like I've got contacts in the game, coaches at certain clubs that I know. Some of them I've known since I've been a kid. So I, it, it's just a time saving exercise. I won't go and watch game after game after game and say, like, "Who's the best player in in, in, in your in your club?". Who's the best player in each position, and why, or whatever? Um, and then you can obviously go and watch them, but you can keep an eye on those. It saves a bit of time, but a lot of the time, you've got these sixteen-year-olds who are the best players in the club who've been touted since they've been twelve years old by agents. So a lot of the time, these these, these players aren't realistic. So it's getting earlier and earlier and earlier. It's it's just it's it's not it's, it's a it's a it's a it's a bad method in my opinion because. you so many players 12 13 14 who are the best in the country who don't even play football anymore but it's it's a very hard to do that method to go and just watch i think he's good i'll go and talk to him because he's going to be signed up as simple as that yeah um, I mean, you'd be better off to, going around
2: parks if you were going to take that approach yeah. wouldn't you, rather than
3: yeah it's but everyone says the same thing like you must just have to go to games and find out who the best player is just not the case anymore because of the, the sheer volume of agents and also the sheer volume of agent of players brothers and Fathers and uncles who think they can do the job anyway. So you've got all that mess and it's the best thing to do is find the contact or find the scout or find the coach and even go to League 2. Because so, there's so many, we now with the, with, the, with the salary caps and with the, the Brexit, with the band of younger kids coming in, there's only one way, there's only one way, one, one place where the Premier League is are going to look is to look further down. So go to League, if you go to Conference game, go to Conference South, look at the stats. Because these are the sort of players you wouldn't be as heavily um, courted, if you will. Mm.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, a lot of uh, people that listen to our podder are in America and I imagine that's out there. There probably is quite a lot of scope to, to spot talent because sure. yeah, there there won't be the same volume of agents around in all the different areas of the country. So, yeah, I think that that's probably something that will be interesting. I, uh, I
3: had... Um went to school with Robbie Al Otis, who was yeah. here above me. And they moved out in a, in our final year of from he moved after to to go to Dallas, Dallas, I think. Well they went over there anyway for Robert, he on ESPN. Mm. Yeah. Um and he went through the college system um and went through the, the draft system. He got picked in the first round at fourth or something. And he said it's it is it's is such a such a good market out there because they're really taking it seriously now and it's it is he said it's, 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 it's there's obviously a lot a lot of big agencies but they're in other sports and they're trying to try their hand at football, but football's only going one way in America. So it's perfect time for, for these these sorts of guys. And look, anyone listening who's, who thinks they've got a good grounding and thinks they've got a good grasp of the, of the league system out there, I'd be perfectly happy to, to speak and, and, to, and to talking talking with them about that and maybe establishing some sort of partnership.
2: Wicked, wicked. Um, okay, let's move on a bit because uh, we want to know about some specific bits of your job and in this case, a very specific day actually. Uh, James Wallace Wants to know what is transfer deadline day like from the perspective of an agent. Very tiring. (laughs) You sound tired (laughs) now, mate. Yeah, exactly. Just thinking about
3: it. You see these, obviously. You see these deals that like people are sprinting around, running around, like trying to get in. You think, oh, that looks amazing. Like I thought the same. But in reality, that's a 1% of the 99% of deals that don't happen. And you've got like, for example, us about four or five years ago, I think it was, we I, we looked after, we had Carl Lafferty at Norwich at the time. Carl Lafferty was away with Northern Ireland. We got a call from Reading when the app stand was there saying that we want, we want Carl, one of the they're dead, they're what we want to buy him. Can, can we fly him over to that deadline there? We've got to fly him back over. I spoke to, to Michael O'Neill at the time. Like, okay, fine. He be got to be back. Absolutely fine. So we sat at Heathrow, I think it was waiting when carl's in the air got a call from Reading, don't want a million more we're like like well, what do you what do you mean what do you mean it's like no we've had a vote with this really sorry but the, the directors have called off so now mm-hmm. we're waiting in the coffee shop in heat row terminal five oh, carl's walked through we're like there's there's nothing we can they, they said no so what there's nothing we can do like we can we can, well, obviously we sit here we, next the flight back's not for another seven hours so we'll sit here calling around every club we can possibly call. Do you want him? Do you want him? Could we here. like, do, with Norwich have agreed to let him go for this amount. So we know we know we let him go, but it just didn't work out in the end. So that's the sort of thing that can happen. But on the flip side, you can get, it can work the other way. When that's up something out of nowhere where a, a deal falls through and then you get a call saying, look, is your player ready? Can we have, a, can, can we get him in? And then, yeah. then and then you're, as an agent, your eyes are like fl- flickering up.
0: So. Yes, mate. He's at the airport. Where do you want him to go? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, but also as an edge, you're thinking, look, they, they want, they need a player, so we can we can we can capitalise here a little bit. Um, yeah. But obviously, without being an arsehole, but it's um, yeah. that can, that can also, that is exciting when you're like racing down when the clock's ticking. That is exciting. Um, but they, that is that is ten ten to one. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. A, a question uh, here from uh, from Juan Diego actually, which is quite interesting. How many people are involved in a single transfer? And I know the answer is it depends, uh, but try not to give me that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll give I'll give I'll give examples.
3: So for Say for example, you had a player in the championship going to a championship Premier League club. Is there are there's? asked the, the agent of the player. Sometimes they will be the agent of the club, like the, the, the club that the agent used. Sometimes and the club. So that's three three parties with various people in the parties. When we went to China, when we did deals to China, when we took we took out to China, for example. Rest in peace, Czech Obviously, and um, there was about thirty people involved in that deal because people just people are just speculate completely. They'll they'll sit in the middle. And say, I've got this club. People are interested. They're not interested in a player. You say, all right, fine. We'll give you a mandate. So a mandate is when you sign over 50, whatever you want. But for a one-month period, you can talk to this club exclusively. And if he goes there, we've got to pay you. And I'll go and go, take this, go to the club and say, check wants to come to you. It's just complete bullshit at both ends. But then it, you get these people who do pop up from the Chinese side. And China is a nightmare to deal with in that sense. There's so many people who pop out of nowhere. You've got to pay the general manager. You've got to pay him. You've got to pay him. You've got to pay him. So I thought that's that those sort of deals, international deals there are a hell of a lot more um people to pay to, to, to deal with and it's doing. That's why it's an absolute nightmare sometimes.
1: Imagine it it sounds like a stress.
0: Yeah, yeah. On these um like yeah. extremely say let's 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 get an example of like a really high profile deal, like when Paul Pogba moves from Juventus to Manchester United. Part of me thinks that there'd be tons of people involved in that and then there's another part of me that thinks actually no there might only be three people. Which end of the scale is that kind of deal on do you think?
3: We So well, I'll give you I'll give you another deal. So when, when Alisson went to Liverpool so we were dealing with Alisson's agent a Brazilian agent um, to try and take one of his players to China at the time. Do you know, remember that Wesley for Bruges, Club Bruges? Yeah. yeah. Look, they look, They looked after him.
0: I mean he hasn't played for a while but he's still here. Yeah, <laughs> when, when
3: he he, so when he was there when he was banging goals for Bruges so we, we went over so they played Dortmund in the Champions League so we went over there Really nice guy, Brazilian guy. Big big agency. They have got a lot of players, a lot of big players. As you said the Allison deal was the worst deal he's ever been a part of because people were just trying to pop up from nowhere, trying to get a slice of the pie, and trying to chuck spanners in the works, left, right, and centre. So, but someone like Mina you know, Minaola doesn't care. He knows what he knows what he's got. So I, I think with someone like him, yeah, he just goes look take it take it or leave it and that's why I got the supposed fees.
1: They have quite a, a relationship which seems pretty close right they they have like almost a mentor vibe coming into play and and Jade asks and I suppose the question the answer is going to be similar it depends who the player is but mm-hmm. how close do you get to some clients and I imagine it varies obviously but is there a, an element of some players you like you feel a little bit you know of a mentor figure too because you're guiding their kind of journey?
3: Sure yeah that, that definitely comes into it but the best way I can describe it is it's like a relationship with a, with a, with a significant other or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, or whatever it will be. It's, you can get, you, see, you can set yourself up for a heartbreak in that sense where if you get so close and you, you can, you can this player from nothing and then out of nowhere, you can get a call and they can say, I'm, I'm leaving you, I'm going with someone else because I've heard this or they've told me
2: this. I they I've got tears oh. in my eyes here, mate. <laughs> I
3: know, but that, 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 it can happen in the same way. You can, it can be fantastic. You can be with someone for 15, 20 years. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of emotions that go into it as well. Like if you pour a lot into a player, um, but on the same flip as well, like we've I've stolen players of someone who I know have had them for five to ten years as well. So it goes in circles. It doesn't. It is what it is. It's business at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, I and mean, it's quite interesting because the next question is is from Patrick, and he says, "What's it like when so many agents are painted as greedy in the media when you're just looking out for the players?" And I mean, what you're describing there, I mean, it kind of is a bit. It has to be a bit dog eat dog, doesn't it? Because otherwise it's not going to function. Like, that is part of that world and that's never going to totally disappear.
3: All, you, all you've got to do is look at the, the late 80s, early 90s and the way the club, well, there was only a few agents about, the way the clubs are just ripping off players left, right and centre. Mm. And you can no only suspect the footballers they're not all in the same boat. You've got these, uh, the majority of them stop school at like 12 years old, really, like, realistically. A lot of them are from low um, socioeconomic backgrounds for families who've got no experience whatsoever in, in, in any any aspect of contracts or anything like that. And these people who loved, loved, loved normally love the football club their son's playing at and they get told and they, they get these players who are playing in the academy and they get told to sign this contract. They'll sign the contract. They're not going to look at anything. not going to see how long it ties them in for. Look at any money they're going to get. So it works both ways. It works for the, the clubs to paint the agents in, in such a way because and they're the bad guys. And look, and I'm not saying everyone's good but not everyone's bad same with clubs some clubs are horrendous when dealing with players and talking about loyalty this this that and the other and it, it it's really it's a bit their business as much as, as as the as the commodity the player is a business so it works both ways no one not one's good or the other like I, i'm a perfect example where you've got the juxtaposition of me and my dad on either side of 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 the of the of, of the sea so it's I know what, what they do. I know what we do. And it's everyone's as bad or as good as each other. Yeah. yeah it's
0: question here from Darius K. These, kind of, these kind of roll into
3: each other quite nicely.
0: What are some of the mistakes that young agents tend to make when they break into the business? And, and maybe there's some experiences that you can lean on there.
3: It's a great question. Um, I think, getting, as I said, we're getting too, too friendly sometimes with players, footballers, especially when I was quite young and I wasn't too much older than them. Getting a bit too friendly with them, um, getting too... They're not there to be your best mates. Like you can be friends with them, but they're not. You're not. You've got. To, you've got to give them not not to tell them the truth, not not necessarily lying to them, but blowing smoke up their ass is, is a massive, massive pitfall that people fall into. Um Because you see these players who've never been told a bad thing in their lives, and they can't deal with it. One. It's not they, their whole lives have gone bang, 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 and then the, the hardest hurdle, the last hurdle, of the twenty threes to the first team, and that when they when they when they linger in the twenty threes for a year or so, it's the first time a lot of them have not progressed. A lot of them have hit that that wall, and then they don't know how to deal with it because a lot of young people, a lot of agents, even not even young agents, but they blow smoke up their arse. But it's so easy to to, to tell them the. the, the so, I only want to tell them that the positives are not negative. So, that's what I'd say. Always, always do, have an equilibrium. Yeah, by
1: yeah, finding that balance. I, I mean, and, and he, again, they roll in nicely. Noel Hodgson says, How much does an agent and reputation influence where a player is transferred to? But I guess this comes into. You know, like what you're just saying there, Sunny. In terms of how strong that relationship is, and whether it's built on steadfast, you know, foundations, or whether it's built on 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 smoke.
3: Of absolutely, I think it's important. We we at the stink, we're very we're very keen on never burning a bridge with a with a club, regardless if if the, you don't get on with a coach or someone's like. Because there's times when a coach or a player could have done you dirty in the past. You never have to burn a bridge with that club because a year down the line, every staff member will be different anyway. You always keep a distance with with everyone, and then you don't have any problems down down the line. Um, it's important for the player as well because if you've got some agents who've got strong relationship with certain clubs, when this agent's got three or four players in the same position, it can get quite messy, and you end up players get being unhappy because they feel that like their agent are holding back certain offers because they're waiting for an offer from the, the club but the agent yeah. might get paid more but the players and they get been getting paid less so you get a bit murky I wonder if yeah. the,
0: there's like a subtext to this question here just to repeat that from Noel how much does an agent and their reputation influence where a player is transferred to I wonder if Noel's an Arsenal fan <laughs> 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 hmm,
2: interesting is yeah. that what he's thinking is that what he's going for <laughs> definitely happening more, isn't it? I mean, you're starting to get Premier League clubs, you know, like you see Everton and Arsenal and Wolves and the way that they're recruiting players now. Are you starting to get a sense of that, Sonny, about how clubs are changing and they're looking for players?
3: I think it's just more documented now, to the of It's not, it's always happened. Like, obviously, you, you touched on Mendes and it works on the flip side where some clubs will not work with certain agents. Mm. It works both ways, but it's not. It's happened, for, it's happened for the last 15, 20 years. Just as it's like social people catch on to it now, like, even with even with Amadeo at Sheffield Wednesday, no one would ever have had a clue yeah, that he's yeah that he's doing it. We get snapped next to the, the chair on social media. Who's this? Bang, bang, bang! People talk about it. So he's been silent partners in clubs for years and years and years. People on retainer, left, right, and centre. So it's not it's not nothing new.
2: Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, George says, and this is quite a good one actually. In terms of when you're doing a deal, I mean, do the do the um, people involved in the deals that are higher up in the club ever take it personally if a deal falls apart? Or, are, or do they remain professional at all times? Like, how difficult is it to separate separate emotion from negotiation?
3: I think it goes back to say, everyone says, "Oh, it's it's not personal, it's business." But it's very hard when you're on on the bad end of that to not take it personally. Mm. So it, I think it's just human nature. You're never going to get someone who takes everything for face value. It's not not going to happen. So people calm down, or people, it's just that any job in the world, you're going to. You're gonna, you're not gonna make everyone happy all of the time. Mm-hmm. So if someone takes it personally, then they take it personally, and you just have to ride it out and try and repair that relationship down, down, down the end. But you just, what you try and do is make sure your actions are, can't be looked at to be snide, or they make sure they looked at to be, to be completely honest. And if they're honest and they're still not happy with it, then what can you do about that?
0: Yeah, fair enough. You mentioned George Mendes there and Dean talking about the walls relationship and recruitment. Obviously, everybody talks about him and his empire and and his his colossus of, of clientele. There's something to be said for the fact that Mendes is an absolutely phenomenal scout as well as an agent. And I appreciate he's going to have advisors. But the players he tends to pick up, and sometimes from quite obscure depths down in Brazil as well, the guy knows a player. And is there an element here of an agent is one thing, but agents actually need to be pretty good at talent ID themselves as an extra part of this job that maybe we don't talk about very much.
3: I'd would say that he's a very good at delegation, is what I'd say in that sense. He he pays the right people because there's no way that he hasn't got the time to be looking at these these kids from Brazil or he just hasn't got the time to do it. He employs the best people to do it, like. He, the stat the stat the stat makers they they use or the they, they will go they, they will go purely on stats and purely it'll be so technical. They just employ the right people. And obviously obviously he's got a good eye for a good eye for players. There's not can't deny that because you had to start somewhere and it's not all about luck. Um but yeah during the job you have to have talent you have to have a certain app for talent ideas. Simply of course you do. You have to look at the, the, the red herrings that suggest a player's not quite right. Um but I, I just think the delegation is key in in that sense.
2: What do you think about people being signed on stats? I mean, obviously me and Jack support Fulham and you know a lot about Fulham and obviously the way mm-hmm. that they're recruiting players right now with Tony Khan is, is very heavily driven by, by stats. Mm-hmm. And you know, Often they haven't seen the players in, in person and they're, and they're looking to sign them. What do you make of that? Well, yeah, I think
3: even when, when Kit, we look after Kit Simons as well, when okay. Kit was there, it was it was, started, it was starting back then as well. Yeah, I think you look, at his, yeah, you look at people like Brentford and it's worked really well for them. Look at the players they pump out every year. I think it's got to be a bit of both. It's like people say, like a zonal man. Like it's got to be a bit of both. I think sometimes it's the same sort of thing. You've got to, you've got to be sensible with it. Obviously, you can play on 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 paper, can look fantastic, but you have to see the player. I think you can't just do it on that. There's always always certain variables that you've got to look at that you can only see in person. But we're, we're going to see more and more of that in the future. Simply, yeah.
1: There's something in that, isn't there? Because you know, and, and we were talking to a coach a couple of weeks back who said, you know, anyone who plays at Premier League level is not a bad footballer. There aren't bad footballers who are kicking around at Premier League level. It's simply impossible. He's like, what there are is players that don't fit certain systems, don't don't fit certain managers, don't fit certain teams. And that's basically what this is. The eye test effectively is is looking at players and going, well, will they fit within this system and that's the key? Exactly. You
3: just hit the nail on the head there. That's bang on.
0: This is the fun one. And loads of people ask this. Um, can you give us any stories on any like crazy clauses or bonuses that you've uh, that you've seen requested or
3: or heard of? Well, I can I can give you some interesting ones from China. So when there yeah, we go. When, uh, <laughs> I uh, bet. Obviously, my dad was a Hebei China fortune, and they had and Mascherano. So Lavezzi was on the best part of maybe a bit more half a million net per week. So he had a lot. He had a lot of money, um, but he's he had a lot of certain clauses. Like even though he retired from international, Argentina at an international, he'd still like he'd get it off even though he retired. Um,
2: so <laughs> like could
1: watch it on TV. <laughs> yeah, um, but
3: they like they they had to. Like, the club would pay for a lot of the international players for their for their their seats, their, their plane tickets. But Letzia and Mascarano shared a private jet, so they paid for the fuel for that, I think, as well. And then there was a clause, certain certain bits and certain certain random clauses in there for his kids if they were flying over and the food he was eating, that sort of thing. And Mascarano, like for example, Mascarano had um he didn't, like, we were sat around this table and this isn't, like, this isn't the why. actually. We were sat with me and my dad. So, you know, Kit Simons, Tony Roberts, Mascherano was sat there mm. talking, like, and this Chinese player was walking over and he just bought a, um, a Richard Mill watch for, like, 150 grand, this Chinese player. It's ridiculous. But I'll go back to that a saying, but this, this watch is just insane. And she's uh, showing it to, to everyone. Like, oh, that's amazing. Mascherano sat there, he goes, go see this. I got this cost me 100 euros. I got it, it's fake. He said, I'll show you what makes me real." And he got his phone up. He's got cattle farms in Argentina. He said, for that, I could buy 30 cows that, that produce the best steaks you've ever eaten. And the club, and there were stipulations about the club providing some money for his farm back home as well, for his right. cattle farms. So stuff like that, it just random, it just chucked. And you just go, yeah, I love that. Because the whole plan for, for Hebei was, was to get messy over there. Oh, was it? They so signed Mascherano and Lovetsy, obviously, like two of his best friends in football. Yeah, um, and that was the plan. Like the, the chairman took massive pride when we signed the contract. Bare money this guy's like worth like five billion pounds. So and your dad us. took that
2: job thinking he was going to be managing Messi.
3: <laughs> no, not at that point. <laughs> not, not at that point. But they, they took, because obviously that that's the, the year he took it. Like six months later, he took. Right. We watched we watched the slideshow yeah. of this just this guy with pictures of him and Messi, and we just signed the contract. Like, oh, that's good. Yeah. that be <laughs> that'd be Andy if you could pull that one off, lads. Go for it's, that. He was like, he was like, one day we're like, I'm not sure about that one. Uh, I don't think that's gonna happen. But he just, they, they love it like, and love like that, that sort of thing over there. So at any point they'll just say yes. That like you say, well, I want that, I need that, and I'll just say yes. Yeah.
0: I love the idea of demanding half a million a week net and going, and I want a private jet, and I want the fuel paid
1: for, and yeah. some cows, and some cows. <laughs> <laughs> yes. that's the key. That's yeah, the obviously that there, there's some out there that are
3: just, that I've not seen it, you know, how is that in how they,
2: how they. They're having to change it, aren't they? You can't, aren't they putting like caps on it all in China and stuff? Yeah, start to finish. finished no, they've, yeah.
3: they even when he was there, when he was there, in his season there, like he, he finished it and did really well, and a year after, put a hundred percent tax on any transfers over eight and a half million euros, and then the players were capped at like four million euros net a year. Yeah. How will they eat? Was that just um, that
0: was just on... <laughs> that was just, um, that was just on European transfers, wasn't it, or, or was it? Yeah, because then they did that yeah, thing. Yeah. So this is slightly off topic now but this is what one thing well, not a- many Chinese players in mean, the year. Absolute, I do absolutely uh, fascinated me but they did they did something where they changed the registration rules or the team selection so you had to have a certain number of Chinese under 23s or under 21s in the team.
3: You had to you had to always have one player. Yeah.
0: And that created a transfer window in which a ton of distinctly average 20-year-old Chinese people were transferred between Chinese clubs for like 13 million
3: quid or something like that. <laughs> Honestly some of the, some of the things they do out there with during the season, for I example, in his first year there, the last three months of the season, they went right all under 23s, you're going to go play for the uh, Chinese army under 23 team. Every single under 23 player had to go, said so no under 23s for the last three months of the, of the season. Now, but now they've, they've put in a, the rule now for the Chinese players that capped at like cap is, is, yeah, I mean, it's not low, Like it's still like 1 million euros net a year, mm. but for them, like a lot of these players, it's going to get worse and worse. And it's, it's, it's it's legality wise it's it's quite great because if they're getting players to re sign contracts and it just affects the kids over there. They trying they're trying to do the right thing in, in stopping the Westerners taking a piss a little bit. Yeah. But at detriment to their own game because they've just they've done it the wrong way and way too quickly.
1: Mm. Yeah forced it down. I mean, it, this wouldn't be Ranks FC, I'm afraid, Sonny, without a ranking. So, we had a, we have one final one for you, and David Gad put out this to us. He said, the three best and the three worst things about being an agent, could you rank them for us?
3: Okay, I'll, go, I'll start with the best. Um, the first is, it has got to be taking a kid from 16 years old and watching him on his debut. Yeah. There's like, no feeling like it. It's, it's incredible. And it's when you're sat with his family and they're all buzzing, that's, that's one of the best things that, that you can do as an agent. Second is fairly similar. We would, would be seeing one of your players pop up on Soccer Saturday. I don't know if you guys have that in America. They have that in America they or something similar. But it's, yeah. they pop, it's or seeing a player pop up in the news that they're doing well or scoring a goal. That's always exciting. Um, and thirdly, probably just the, the sheer access to, to football that we get and, and the games and, and even it, where, around the world. Like games that I never would have seen in my life. That just the sheer access to, to, to football has got to be up there as well. amazing. Yeah. Um, and the worst... Um, Here we go. Well, it's probably the, the probably the stigma around us as football agents is just it's not ideal. It is undeserved to an extent, but that's just not the people just see you as being in the dark side. So yeah, Um you can't put acres on, which isn't ideal. Of <laughs> course. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. no, no, no akers. No, no acres. So that's unfortunate. Is there no betting at all, Ald? No. uh Well, I, I don't know the exact rules, but you just have to steer clear. Presumably, you've just clear, gone. Yeah. You know
2: what? No. Uh, so that's, yeah, annoying. Exactly. that's annoying. That's yeah. annoying because you know if it your is. clients revved up for a big game or not, and you just want to put some support <laughs> in them. You don't actually know if they're going to score, do you? Exactly. That's the, that's
3: the thing. That is quite. That's quite. Obviously, all, the, like, all my friends and that chucking their like, massive wins, yeah. but what can you do? Yeah. Um, what else? So, so I've done two. That's bad. Well, um, losing a player. Losing a player. Mm. Probably out there. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Anyone losing that would really player. hurt you that stand
3: out? Not really. Not nothing that's been like completely. You've not had that heartbreak moment yet.
2: Not yet. Not yet.
3: Not yet. It it, it will come. But like as I said, it works both ways. So I should probably put on now, leave it off. It's losing a player. Losing a player. That'll be fine.
1: Have you got one player for us that you know that you're looking after that we should keep an eye out for, Sonny? Someone who's on the way up.
3: We've got. um, Well, we've got the company we work for now. We We just merged with another it's about to happen at some point um, there's a few good ones coming through but one we've got to keep an eye for a guy called Kyle Ludvigsen Kyle at Swansea um, he is Welsh he sounds Swedish or Norwegian but he is Welsh at the age of 14 he's playing in the 23s and that's something like the third quickest player at the club of that what? Age, and he, he's
2: he's at that age he's playing the 23s at 14
3: yeah he's uh, he's he's now 16 he's in the 23s but okay. he's athletically he's an absolute specimen his, mom, his mother used to run like 400 metre for Wales and his dad his dad's Jamaican, his mum's Welsh. Um, wow. But yeah, I, I, through, I don't know how that, I think one of their grandparents was from Norway or something, but he's there. Uh, yeah, and his grandparents
0: fought
1: bears. Uh, <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: You're going to have yeah. one of these situations um, like with Jamal Musiala where everybody is trying to declare, everyone's like, oh, do you want to come and play for our national team? Yeah. You're, going to, you're going to have a, you're going to have a fight in your hands with that one. In fact, we,
3: we've had a few, yeah, we've had a few, uh, he's, he's, playing, he's actually playing for Wales at the minute with the a- with the 18s a- in the next next camp but uh, we had a few yeah, from a few various nations saying oh we think he can play for us but he's Welsh he's got a Welsh accent he's born and bred card you're boy, not having sir. any of that yeah, exactly <laughs> I was going to say you're not letting, him go. not letting him go he's Welsh he is absolutely Welsh <laughs> absolutely
1: uh, Sonny thank you so much for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure
3: and cheers guys I really appreciate your time and had a good time chatting to you boys today
0: Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly.
1: Welcome back to Ranks FC and thank you so much to Sonny. That was so interesting. So much insight. And it's a world that I don't think many of us know huge amounts about dean it's a it's a world that seems to be behind the curtain a little bit and it's nice to get a, a little bit of light on that
2: yeah i mean i've been speaking to agents for 15 years or whatever and i hadn't even heard some of those kind of answers before because they're not the sort of things you ever actually ask a football agent when you're actually talking to them because it's a bit weird if you start chatting to them about that kind of stuff so it was it was good to hear i mean some of the stories there the little anecdotes as well that's that's what you want isn't it as um the little Insights to to this weird life that most of us just don't get to see. Absolutely. Sometimes the uh, the
0: most basic and simple and forthright questions are, are the best, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I watched a video recently on Liverpool's channels where Thiago Alcantara was was uh, teaching Spanish to some young kids in the local area, and they asked the kids, "Have you got any questions?" And one just went, "How much do you earn a month?" <laughs> <laughs> and while we weren't quite there, sometimes we sit, we kind of forget that actually that level of forthrightness. And simplicity to some questions can bring out the most important answers. For the record, Tiago did not answer the question. Yeah,
1: I was going to say out oh, of yeah. the mouths of babes. Eh? Right, mm. Dean, it's time for my favourite part of the week. And we forgot about this last week. So you're yeah. in you're in trouble.
2: Yeah, sorry, everyone. I did say that because um, there was no melon of the week, we'd go and do it over on Patreon. So a lot of people came over there and think they got there and I completely forgot to do it last <laughs> Friday. So I am the melon of the week for last week. But um, we've moved things on. And I can say... It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Thomas Mounier. Now, because I forgot to do it, I opened this up on Patreon to a few people. I said, look, if you've got anything, then stick it in the comments. And i will if there's a good one, then I'll pick it out and I'll read it. And I wouldn't have typically remembered this moment. But Anthony Badellamenti sent in this and he said, Melon of the Week was Thomas Mounier. He missed an absolute sitter of a past to make it 3-0 Dortmund in the 25th minute. Instead, Bayern went down the other end and made it 2-1. It was the beginning of the end for Dortmund, and I genuinely, genuinely believe if Mounier had made that pass, which I'm confident Bambi could have made... <laughs> Dortmund would have gone on to win or at least draw, at least draw a 3-0 up with saying they they might get a draw, but (laughs) it's true. At least draw that game. And um, yeah, great point. I went back and and looked at it again because I did I did then get a memory of it from that Dortmund Bayern game. And yeah, it was Harland was just begging for it to be shifted across the box. Um, and the defender there's two defenders running backwards and if he'd have just played a nicely weighted ball across the front of them Haaland would have been waiting to smash home his hat-trick from close range but he waited a second too long I think he was thinking about having a shot and the moment passed for both things and it was intercepted and Bayern broke away and a minute later Lewandowski was scoring a tap-in and it was basically good night from there because um, Dortmund
1: bottled it again and um, Bayern won the game yeah, I mean, I thought the other one that, that was suggested was from Nick D'Amato, who said Jens Stryger-Larsen of Udinese was middle of the week for, I mean, what is he doing? Yeah. Someone said, I think I think Nick said in terms of, when the best excuse for what you've done is that you're being paid by the other team, it's probably not a great look. <laughs> uh, so it's the last minute of Milan versus Udinese. Udinese are 1-0 up, um, and we've talked already this week about the bottom of Serie A and how it's all a little bit ugly down there. They're winning 1-0 at the San Siro. It's a huge result this for Udinese. And in the 96th minute, the ball gets lofted into the box. It's not a particularly good cross. There's not huge amounts of Milan players attacking it. And Strega Larson just chucks his hand up in the air and sort of punches it away. It's like... I'm not sure what he's doing. The only thing I can compare it to ever that I've seen in my life was when I was playing football at university, we had a player called Josh and he was a center back. He played football and he also played ultimate Frisbee, right? And we were, the ball got locked in and he just randomly went to catch it in the middle of our box and gave away a penalty. And this is as close as I've ever seen to that. (laughs) But this was in a Serie A game, not just a random game at Durham, you know, which didn't really matter that I think, She's it, it, a big contender because yeah, it was, it, it was for sure.
2: bizarre.
1: Really bizarre. Yeah, Fair enough. <laughs> Sam, it's the Jewish laugh. All
0: right, look, we got a, a a question or a comment a couple of weeks ago on the Monday post box on Patreon asking to compare footballers to beers. And I thought, that's a really good idea. I'm going to steal that from one of my gibberish. <laughs> so uh, I've done it. I've picked my top three beers and I've compared each one to a footballer. So... In at number three is Tiski. Are you familiar with that? I am. It's a, it's a Polish beverage, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. It's a white and red can, sort of Polish flag style. Um, introduced to me by my old Polish housemates. And when I used to live in Wimbledon, uh, I lived in a, uh, a house share and I lived in a converted pub. And three Polish lads all moved into the same room in the basement that used to be the cellar. Two were brothers, one was a mate, and they paid 850 quid a month between them for one room, three single beds. Absolute carnage. They it must have been like a-, a dorm. It was ridiculous, mate, honestly. It flooded at one point. Um, the stealing off wasn't done properly and they all had to move out. But That sounded uh, quite fun, though. Yeah, it was, it was good fun. They were great. I mean, they were really nice. Like, they didn't speak a word of English, but like, they were great, lads. They taught me some Polish words, uh, some non-swear words. Um, that's, that's as well. first taboret means stool Okno means window Jamra zhaka means fridge freezer And kurczak means chicken in Polish So it stayed Very with good. me so, yeah, yeah. But they introduced me to Polish cuisine That's basically just meat Dumplings um, Just yeah, meat dumplings And they drank exclusively Polish beer Which they offered me relentlessly In order to be hospitable, friendly And share their culture so one of the many things I took from this experience, and I could probably write a book on it, was a love for the Polish Lager Tiski, which is fantastic, is massively underrated. Mm-hmm. I think people probably look at it on a shelf of beers, many, many beers to pick from, and dismiss it because it's unfamiliar, or maybe it's less sexy, and they don't realize just how nice it is. So in football terms, Tiski is Piotr Zielinski, nice. who is Polish. Very good. Not enough people are aware of it. And when you list out Napoli's attacking talents, Zieliński is either at the very bottom or not mentioned at all. I think the same applies to Tisky, and I think it's a real sadness.
1: I've got to take you, there's a pub near me called The Windmill, and uh, The Windmill has Tisky on tap.
0: Oh, yeah, I've never seen it on tap in my life.
1: Yeah, there's also the Polish centre up near Hammersmith. We can go to both on the same yeah. day when all of this opens up. My favourite story about Tisky is I was on the way back from Fulham-Barnsley. And the lads on the upper side of the other side of the carriage had a box of tiskies, and they were drinking them. And just sort of halfway through the journey, one of the lads put one on his head, an empty one, and just started going, He's got a (laughs) Tisky on his head. He's got a Tisky. And it would run to the end of it. And then he picked up another one and went, He's got two tiskies. (laughs) And this continued for all 12 of the tiskies on the box. And they got to the end. He took them off his head, and everyone was like holding them on his head. It was great fun. And then there was like a little fellow who was like six or seven uh, on the train and he just picked up when i've got it <laughs> i was like right this has got really aggressively out of hand um, but we all had a lot of fun so yeah, yeah. that's my favorite story about no, there's really? well, always everyone's got a story about tisky and it right. is delicious by the way
0: everybody right into number two which is guinness excellent so as many of you know it took me a while to take a shine to guinness and Jack, you've essentially held my hand for this process, uh, going from I don't want to drink it ever to it's second on this list of my favorite beers. My first commitment to drinking Guinness came on St Paddy's Day four or five years ago. And for several years after that, it remained strictly a St Paddy's Day drink. Then in 2020, for some reason, I decided to dive in, commit to it, and I started loving it. Jack, we drank it a lot together in the pub. I can't yes. wait for the day that we can do that again. I gave it a second chance. And I really embraced a drink that I had once really disliked in football terms. For me, that is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I severely disliked Aubameyang for a long time. And even at Dortmund, when he scored 30 a season, I didn't race him. And that is because of, and I'm sure you guys have heard me talk about this before. I have a certain type of striker. Everyone has a type that they like and poachers just don't really do it for me. And Aubameyang has always been someone who finishes chances, but doesn't necessarily offer you that much elsewhere. But over time, When the guy puts together the goal scoring record he has and the consistency that he produces, you have to respect him. He will disarm you. He will win you round and he will earn your respect. I feel like that's the journey I've been on with Guinness. Dismissed it for a long time, despite its obvious qualities. And finally, I embraced it. And I guess the moral of the story here in both ways is that our tastes can change.
1: Fantastic. Very, very good. I'm I'm, I'm now intrigued as to what is number one, if those are your number two. So number one, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it
0: on one of the patrons,
1: actually, uh, is Mythos,
0: which is the Greek lager. Beautiful stuff. Discovered that on holiday at 16, watching the World Cup 2006 in the warm weather in Greece, drinking Mythos from an ice cold glass. And it was beautiful. I got home. Didn't see Mythos for years. Back in 2006, you don't tend to see that in the shops anyway. And it wasn't until I went to Zante a couple of years later with the boys that I saw it again, drank it again, and it was just as good before. But then, of course, I returned home from Zante, No sight of Mythos anywhere. And then, one night in 2012, I'm in a massive Tesco in Bristol. I'm buying myself a few beers as a reward for scoring a hat-trick at football. I venture into the World Beers section by accident. I just take a few steps too far. There it is, Mythos, in the World Beer section, reunited at last. It's been four years since I drank it. The football equivalent to this is Manuel Locatelli, I'll tell you why. (laughs) I just don't get to see Locatelli very often. I wasn't watching Milan every week when he broke through, and I don't watch Sassuolo that much now. The
1: answer to this is just watch more Sassuolo.
0: Of course, yeah, but I don't watch them that much at the moment for some reason. Whenever I do catch Locatelli, he is unbelievable. Like, he's only ever brilliant. I have caught him sparingly, but he has never dropped a performance that was less than an 8 out of 10 that I've ever seen. And if we were to just judge players on only games that we've only ever seen fully, Locatelli is like top three in the world for me. He doesn't put a foot wrong whenever I watch him. I'm his lucky charm. I was watching him when he played for Milan and scored the winner against Juventus as a teenager, and I've watched him boss games against Serie A's best for Sassuolo. Maybe he would ask me to watch him a little bit more, but my encounters with Locatelli, too rare for comfort. Every time we cross paths though, it is magical. And the same applies to mythos.
1: I was going to say the man, the mythos, the legend. Manuel <laughs> Locatelli. There you go. Yeah. Bang. One for, the, one for the history books. You know, Jens Petter-Horger, the truth. Manuel Locatelli, the man, the mythos, the legend. Just another <laughs> nickname from Ranks FC. Yeah, there you go. Right. Well, all that's left for me to do, lads, is to say thank you very much. First to Sonny Coleman for joining us and for all his insights on the industry. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, but also to Mr. Dean Jones, thank you very much. Cheers, mate. So, Mr. Sab Tai, thank you very much. Thank you all. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. If you're new, then make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're sharing it with your friends. And make sure you're back next week. And we have another wicked interview lined up. Thanks for listening, gang. Peace.
0: Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly.